My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 160, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Kings 24 and 25, Chronicles 35 and 36, Proverbs 8 verses 22 to 36, and Proverbs 9 verse 1 through 6. 2 Kings 24. During Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years, but then he turned against Nebuchadnezzar and rebelled. The Lord sent Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against him to destroy Judah, in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command, in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. As for the other events of Jehoiakim's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Judah? Jehoiakim rested with his ancestors, and Jehoiachin, his son, succeeded him as king. The king of Egypt did not march out from his own country again because the king of Babylon had taken all his territory from the wadi of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, daughter of Alnathan. She was from Jerusalem. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. At that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were besieging it. Jehoashin, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles, and his officials all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoashin prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed the treasurers from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and cut up the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried all Jerusalem into exile. All the officers and fighting men and all the skilled workers and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoashin captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the prominent people of the land. The king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men, strong and fit for war, and a 1,000 skilled workers and artisans. He made Metanai, Jehoashin's uncle, king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Hamtuel, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah. And in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Now, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. 
the city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled toward the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued, and the king overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month and the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Zabir Zidon, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Zebuzeradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands, and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord, and they carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, shovels, wick trimmers, dishes, and all the bronze articles used in the temple service. The commander of the imperial guard took away the senses and sprinkling bowls, all that were made of pure gold and silver. The bronze from the two pillars, the sea and the movable stands, which Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord, was more than could be weighed. Each pillar was 18 cubits high. The bronze capital on top of one pillar was three cubits high and was decorated with a network and pomegranates of bronze all around. The other pillar with its network was similar. The commander of the guard took as prisoner Sarai, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest next in rank, and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and five royal advisors. He also took the secretary who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land and 60 of the conscripts who were found in the city. Zabir Zidon, the commander, took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. There at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into captivity, away from her land. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, appointed Gedaliah, son of Akam, the son of Shaphan, to be over the people he had left behind in Judah. When all the army officers and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah as governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, son of Nathaniel, Jehanan, son of Kariah, Sariah, son of Tahamath, and Netephathite, Zanayah, the son of Makathai, and their men. Gedaliah took an oath to reassure them and their men, do not be afraid of the Babylonian officials, he said. Settle down in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well with you. In the seventh month, however, Ishmael, son of Nathanai, the son of Elishmah, who was of royal blood, came with ten men and assassinated Gedaliah and also the men of Judah and the Babylonians who were with him at Mizpah. At this, all the people from the least to the greatest, together with the army officers, fled to Egypt for fear of the Babylonians. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoashin, king of Judah, in the year of Awel Marduk, became king of Babylon. He released Jehoashin, king of Judah, from prison. 
He did this on the 27th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoashin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoashin a regular allowance as long as he lived. Second Chronicles 35 Josiah celebrated the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and the Passover lamb was slaughtered on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their duties and encouraged them in the service of the Lord's temple. He said to the Levites who instructed all Israel and who had been consecrated to the Lord, put the sacred ark in the temple that Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, built. It is not to be carried about on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves by families in your divisions, according to the instructions written by David, king of Israel, and by his son, Solomon. Stand in the holy place with a group of Levites for each subdivision of the families of your fellow Israelites. The lay people, slaughter the Passover lambs, consecrate yourselves, and prepare the lamb for your fellow Israelites, doing what the Lord commanded through Moses. Josiah provided for all the lay people who were there a total of 30,000 lambs and goats for Passover offerings, and also 3,000 cattle, all from the king's own possession. His officials also contributed voluntarily to the people and the priests and Levites. Hilkai, Zechariah, and Jehiel, the officials in charge of God's temple, gave the priests 2,600 Passover offerings and 300 cattle. Also, Kanoi, along with Shammai and Nathaniel, his brothers, and Hashabah, Jael, Josabad, and the leaders of the Levites provided 5,000 Passover offerings and 500 heads of cattle for the Levites. The service was arranged and the priests stood in their place with the Levites in their divisions as the king had ordered. The Passover lambs were slaughtered and the priests splashed against the altar the blood handed to them. While the Levites skinned the animals, they set aside the burnt offerings to give them to the subdivisions of the families of the people to offer to the Lord. As it is written in the book of Moses, they did the same with the cattle. They roasted the Passover animals over the fire as prescribed and boiled the holy offerings in pots, cauldrons, and pans and served them quickly to all the people. After this, they made preparations for themselves and for the priests because the priests, the descendants of Aaron, were sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fat portions until nightfall. So the Levites made preparations for themselves and for the Aaronic priests. The musicians, the descendants of Asaph, were in the places prescribed by David, Asaph, Haman, and Judathan, the king's seer. The gatekeepers at each gate did not need to leave their posts because their fellow Levites made the preparations for them. So at that time, the entire service of the Lord was carried out for the celebration of the Passover and the offering of burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord, as King Josiah had ordered. The Israelites who were present celebrated the Passover at the time and observed the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel, and none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover, as did Josiah with priests, the Levites, and all Judah, and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. This Passover was celebrated in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Kar Shemesh on the Euphrates, and Josiah marched out to meet him in battle. But Necho sent messengers to him, saying, What quarrel is there, king of Judah, between you and me? It is not you I am attacking at this time, but the house with which I am at war. God has told me to hurry. So stop opposing God who is with me, or he will destroy you. 
Josiah, however, would not turn away from him, but disguised himself to engulf him in battle. He would not listen to what Nico had said at God's command, but went to fight him on the plain of Megiddo. Archers shot King Josiah, and he told his officers, Take me away. I am badly wounded. So they took him out of his chariot, put him in his other chariot, and brought him to Jerusalem, where he died. He was buried in the tombs of his ancestors, and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him. Jeremiah composed laments for Josiah, and to this day all the male and female singers commemorate Josiah in the laments. These became a tradition in Israel and are written in the laments. The other events of Josiah's reign and his acts of devotion in accordance with what is written in the law of the Lord, all the events from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, son of Josiah, and made him king in Jerusalem in place of his father. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. The king of Egypt dethroned him in Jerusalem and imposed on Judah a levy of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. The king of Egypt made Elikim, a brother of Jehoahaz, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed Elikim's name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Elikim's brother Jehoahaz and carried him off to Egypt. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also took to Babylon articles from the temple of the Lord and put them in his temple there. The other events of Jehoiakim's reign, the detestable things he did, and all that was found against him— are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoashin, his son, succeeded him as king. Jehoashin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In the spring, King Nebuchadnezzar sent for him and brought him to Babylon, together with articles of value from the temple of the Lord, and he made Jehoashin uncle Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, his God, and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened in his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy." He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of the Lord, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. 
all the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord made the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make proclamation through his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord their God be with them. Proverbs 8, verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my door, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Proverbs 9 verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has set out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. I know this does feel like a sad, tragic part of the story, and it is. It's also an important reminder. We can make little or big steps away from God, and we can harden our hearts. And we read about the continued detestable and defiling practices of God's chosen people. These aren't even adversaries. These were God's chosen people. Dr. Mackey explains how violence and folly lead to demise. He describes how the Hebrew word choices and phrasing, the metaphors, point back to the story of the flood, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, of Adam and Eve, when the people have become part of the anti-story with hard hearts that choose violence and folly. And God will give us over to our choice, right? So there's like a description we're going to read in Isaiah about like these waves of people if you will, that that come from the cosmic edges of the world. But really, it's all the Babylonians in the story that came to take the people. So when the people became part of the anti-story with hard hearts, they chose violence and folly, and God gave them over to their choice. Because violence and folly, Dr. Mackey points out that Judah is given over to the even bigger, more violent enemy that even fight with one another with different adversaries. So we've read about the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, and today, even the Persians. So Dr. Mackey describes this part of the story as Israel's exile. They hit rock bottom. 
So zooming out, Joshua helped the people of Israel to enter the promised land, remember that? To be in the center of the ancient world, a place where God will put his name and dwell with his people, a place where they will use God's provision and blessing to bless the entire world. They also fought and ousted many religions which were described as detestable and defiling practices. Remember we talked about the child sacrifice practices to Molech? Oh, yikes. There were no kings initially. Remember just a series of 12 tribal chieftains who acted as judges, and they progressively got worse and worse in the story. Their leadership went from okay to by the 12th, it was just terrible. Then the people of Israel want a king like their neighbors, yet we know God wants to be their king, but he grants them their request, and he makes special provisions, we remember those, uh, that he would pick the king and that they wouldn't take or buy horses, especially I think it was from Egypt, they wouldn't collect silver and gold, and they wouldn't collect all these wives, right? That was some of the provisions God made for them having human earthly kings. So, who did God pick first? The donkey herder, Saul. And while Saul did obey some of the Lord's commands, his love for himself seemed to be greater than his love for God. Then God appoints David. So, remember that division, there wasn't succession in Saul's family. He just straight picked a different one, David. He was unassuming and unexpected, and he points back to God. And while David made some amazing choices for the Lord, he also made some grave mistakes. He eventually responded, though, to God's word and the prompting for those mistakes, eventually repenting, and was a part of securing the city of Jerusalem and making preparations for the temple. His son, Solomon, constructed the temple. Yet Solomon chose the chariots, the horses, the silver gold, the wives. Remember, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the story ends with Solomon's heart being turned to other gods. Then the kingdom of Israel splits into the northern and southern kingdom. Remember the story of Rehoboam and Jeroboam? The northern kingdom was referred to as Israel because they had like 10 tribes up there. And the south, the southern kingdom, Judah, where that location in their capital was Jerusalem, and in the northern kingdom, Israel, was their capital was Samaria. Then we've been reading about the prophets and kings of or in the north and the south kingdoms. I think there were about 19 kings over about 200 years in the northern kingdom, and all of them had been described as doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. They were exiled to Assyria about a hundred years before the southern kingdom followed the same outcome, who was exiled in about three waves to the Neo or the, the Babylonian Empire. The southern kingdom had about 20 kings or leaders, and only about seven, maybe eight, would be considered doing good in the eyes of the Lord. Remember, it was King Asa and Jehoshaphat, Joash or Jehoash, Amaziah, Uzziah, maybe, he's the maybe, then Jotham, Hezekiah, and Josiah. I feel like the story is reminding us that drift can happen to even God's chosen people. And the result of allowing violence and sin to take our hearts captive, or especially when I think our leaders have this and lead the people in this way, right? It allows for the invasion, the siege, the destruction from the bigger and badder adversary we were molding our hearts after. This story feels like the grittiest, most violent of movies we can possibly think of. And for people like me, that's really hard. 
If you're struggling with this, I totally get it. I think that's kind of what we should be feeling is this struggle, this ugh. This is a hard, tragic part of the story. The story was so promising as the people entered the promised land. It was like reading the first part of the Adam and Eve story when they were placed first in the Garden of Eden, and then to read about the drift, the dislocation, and defection. Ugh, the curtain is being drawn with the invasion, the description of the siege, and the exile. In the end, even the temple of God was burned down. The place where Dr. Mackey describes heaven and earth meet and the presence of God would dwell with his people. Also, the palaces and all the important buildings were burned down and the wall of Jerusalem torn down. This is a sobering reality. Dr. Mackey encourages personal engagement, reflecting on the how, the small decisions that led them that can lead us away from God. There is a word of warning to all generations of God's people to examine our hearts and to keep them soft and remember who God is and who we are, our purpose, our call, and what has happened and is still happening in the story. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.